and may that be our heart attitude to surrender all that we have and to live for the glory of our great God and Savior. Just a note before we get started, uh, what a great, great service we've experienced this morning thus far. And this is Joshua and Lauren York's last Sunday with us. Thank you all for speaking for them. Thank you. And for me as well. Thank you for coming yesterday to the reception and being so generous and kind and loving and just expressing your love for them. And we're going to miss you guys incredibly. Thank you for your years of service here. And we know that uh, the church in Mount Vernon will be blessed with your presence there. Please turn your Bibles to Haggai and chapter one, if you will. Haggai and chapter one. Last week, we began this series in the book of Haggai that we've entitled Consider Your Ways for various obvious reasons, right? Several times throughout, the, throughout this book, Haggai is calling the people, the Israelites, the rebellious people, to consider their ways. Now, you know, being a prophet of God wasn't as glamorous as it may sound. I mean, back then, the people were about as excited to see one of God's prophets coming as you might be to see those flashing lights behind you when you're driving down the road, okay? In fact, God told Jeremiah that not only would the people not listen to him as he spoke God's message, but that they would actually fight against him. But the truth is, Haggai's experience was a little different. The people actually listened to Haggai. They received God's word. Now this morning, we're going to look at the response to Haggai's initial prophecy. We're going to pull back the curtain on repentance and take a closer look at what it is and what it means. So if you will, stand as we read together Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Haggai 1, verses 12 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, The high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Will you pray with me? Lord, we give our attention, we give ourselves to you. We long to hear what you will speak to us today. And we long to be men and women, boys and girls, who follow after you with all that we are, surrendered to you fully. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. God, through Haggai, was sounding the warning to his rebellious and self-centered people. God was speaking to a people who had grown indifferent about the worship of God and who were living with this self-centered pursuit. They were more concerned about their own comfort. They were idolaters. They did not care about obedience to the word of God. Now, let's just be honest. This is our culture. And friends... If we're really honest, this is us. This is us. 
rather than prioritizing living lives that build up the church, so often we focus on ourselves and the gifts that God has entrusted to us, rather than use them, rather than exercise them to build up the body of Christ, we just seek to build up our own lives. We seek to live for ourselves. Now notice, Haggai did not speak a, quote, feel-good message to the people. He was not minimizing sin and encouraging the people to be all that they could be, to, to realize all their dreams and just to do what they could. He did not emphasize the love of God at the expense of the judgment of God. And that's important for us to note, friends. That's important for us to note. Yes, the gospel is good news. It's the greatest news ever. And yes, God is a God of love. But people with calloused hearts... People with callous and rebellious hearts need to be awakened to the reality of their sin and to God's judgment on sinners. They don't just need to be assured with the mercy of God. The gospel is good news because it says that we have been saved from God's wrath on sin. We've been saved not by anything we could do of ourselves, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, His perfect life, His sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross, and His resurrection from the dead. But if we never talk about sin, friends, if we never talk about God's judgment on sin, then people won't know that they need a Savior. People won't know that there is a desperate need for forgiveness. Now just think about it this way. I think it's the fourth Friday of every month, this, this, uh, this past Friday, around 11.30 a.m., the tornado warnings are tested all around Amarillo. Now, the tornado sirens probably would not have the same effect if they just started blaring classical music. They wouldn't have the same effect if they just tapped into the easy listening music radio station, right? No, they sound the way they do because they are meant to get people's attention, they're meant to wake us up to the fact that something is not right. And church, when God's people are apathetic to the word of God, something is not right. That was true in 520 BC, and it's true today. When people are indifferent or apathetic to God's will, sound the alarm. Because repentance is in order. This morning, I want to start with a... Definition. I want to define repentance. And then we're going to look to understand a little bit more deeply here in just a few minutes. But the Greek term for repentance means to change one's mind. To change one's mind about something or to think differently about something. It pictures a change uh, that results in a directional change. Maybe attitude. Maybe behavior, maybe speech patterns, maybe something in your relationship. It's a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son went to his father. He wanted to live his own life. He wanted to be on his own. He wanted autonomy. And the father gave him his share of the inheritance. And he went and he squandered it. He lived for his own desires. He lived according to his own needs, his own wants, according to his own thoughts. But then things got bad. The money ran out. The friends left him. And what does scripture tell us? That he came to his senses. That he began to think differently 
about the situation. He understood his broken and his desperate condition. He understood his sin against his father and he changed his direction. He returned home ready to confess his sin, ready to deal with the consequences. He, in that sense, repented. Repentance is a major theme throughout Scripture, even if it is minimized by many Christians today. In the Old Testament, we think of Moses, we think of the prophets, how they called the people to repent from their rebellious and their wicked ways. It's not just an Old Testament thing either. Think about John the Baptist. What was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. Jesus sent out the apostles to say that people everywhere should repent. Mark chapter 6 verse 12. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 7, Jesus says there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance or who think they need no repentance. The first sermons of the early church emphasized repentance. Acts chapter 3, 17 through 21. Peter is preaching this sermon. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long Ago. Repentance is emphasized throughout all of Scripture. Now, the repentance that we specifically focused on here is the repentance that is associated with salvation. Right? It's placing one's faith in Jesus Christ, believing the gospel, turning away from a life dedicated to self, centered on self, and living a life that is centered on Jesus Christ based on our trust, our faith in Him. So maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, well, wait a minute, who is this call to repentance? For. I mean, who is Scripture speaking to when it says that we are to repent? Let me tell you. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Peter writes, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. Friends, because we have all sinned against God, because we have all broken His holy law, because none of us are perfect, all of us are called to repent. All of us are called to turn from our sinful ways, to put our hope in Jesus Christ, and to be saved. We're all in need of forgiveness, and forgiveness is only found in Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is only eternal suffering. This is what Peter says, that the Lord doesn't want anyone to perish. Suffer forever, lake of fire, eternal hell. Would you repent? But repentance is not only associated with salvation, it is part of following Christ. It's an ongoing activity for followers of Christ because none of us is perfect. None of us is sinless. None is without the need to continually turn from sin. It's not that we're saved over and over again. If we are in Christ, if we have placed our hope in Christ, then we are saved. 
that doesn't mean we don't. That doesn't mean we're free from sin. No, we do sin. Listen to Jesus' message to the church at Ephesus, Revelation chapter two, verses two through five. Jesus says, "I know your works." your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Hear this. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, John is writing this as he received this revelation from Jesus. And Jesus is speaking to those who are Christians, to the church at Ephesus. He's calling them to repent and to live differently. So let's be clear. Not only is repentance an essential part of salvation, it is an essential part of sanctification. That is, growing in Christ's likeness. For without repentance, friends, there is no transformation. Now, as Scripture describes it, repentance is not some ethereal, undefined, unmeasurable thing. John the Baptist calls the people to bear fruit in keeping with Repentance. And the people are a little unaware of what that means. What does that look like? So John explains it to them. Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with one who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came and to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. So real practical things. What does it look like to repent? What does it look like to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? It means to do the, do the opposite. Stop sinning and begin to live differently. Begin to live for the glory of Christ. Here's the thing. Repentance is not just an emotional response. Repentance is not just an emotional response. It's not just feeling bad about something. And friends, it's not just an intellectual response either. It's not just agreeing that, okay, this is what I've done and it's wrong, and then going on as if nothing ever happened, right? It's not emotional necessarily. It's not intellectual. And I'm not saying it doesn't include those things, but it's not merely those things. Genuine repentance results in change. Change in attitude and action and behavior and communication and so forth. Now, as it pertains to Haggai and his message, what he spoke to the people there, we would expect that if they truly repented, then that they would begin to change their priorities, right? They were so focused on themselves, they were building their own home, but Haggai brings this message and he says, build the house of the Lord. Should you live in comfortable houses? Should you be focusing on these paneled houses while the house of the Lord lays in ruins? So we would expect that repentance then would lead the people to change their priorities. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Because of the power of the word of God, the people listened. They repented and they began to work on 
the temple. They began to give themselves to the temple. Within three weeks of Haggai's initial message, the people began to work on the temple. Now, coming from last week, I know not all of you were here last week, but we talked about how we often take what God has entrusted to us, entrusted to us for His glory, And rather than build the temple, that is, the church of Christ, rather than use our resources, whatever those are, our our spiritual gifts, our abilities, our money, uh, our voices, the way we serve, the way we love, rather than use those to build up the church, we use those to build up our own lives. We use them selfishly. We, too, can focus on our own comfort on our own agenda. And if repentance is happening in our lives, what that means is we're going to reassess our priorities. We're going to reassess where we invest our time, where we, re- we reinvest or where we invest our energy, where we invest our finances, not just on ourselves, but on serving others, on building up the church, on the proclamation of the gospel, on seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. Now, let's dig a little deeper in our understanding of repentance this morning. Okay, second heading, understanding repentance. First thing I think we see in this passage in Haggai is that repentance is connected to the fear of God. Repentance is connected to the fear of God. People who don't fear God won't repent of their sinful ways and seek to live for God's glory. Notice there, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. So what's behind their repentance? The fear of the Lord or the fear of God. People who do not fear God won't repent of their sinful ways and won't seek to live for God's glory. In fact, Psalm 36 and verse 1 teaches that the sinfulness of the wicked is due to the lack of their fear of God. In Romans chapter 3, when we read of the pervasiveness of sin, as Paul is quoting in two different psalms, right? Two different psalms, Psalm 14 specifically, especially. uh, He's saying that the pervasiveness of sin among mankind is due to the lack of fear of the Lord. Now the corollary to this is that the fear of the Lord leads to a life of repentance. The fear of the Lord leads to a life of repentance, right? When we see God for who He is, and when we see ourselves for who we are, and we recognize that the sovereign creator of all things is is in control, He is holy, and that He judges sin, this affects us. We recognize that He is gracious and kind and loving, and He has made every way for us to be made right with Him. This affects us. We long to live for Him. We long to live for His glory. We're motivated by His grace. We're spurred on by His grace. But friends, there's also that sense of God is, He is holy. He is one to be feared. He is a consuming fire. And this affects us as well. It's like that Matthew West song. I'm just a beggar in the presence of the king. 
I'm just a beggar in the presence of the king. So the question is, how do we increasingly live in the fear of the Lord or fear of God? Well, we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves regularly and we draw near to him. And how do we draw near to him? We draw near to him as we read his word. As we meditate on who he is, as he has revealed himself, not as who our culture says God is, as God has revealed himself to us. We draw near to him through prayer. And we seek to know him. And as we seek to know him, we trust that his spirit is at work in us, clarifying our own sin and his holiness. And when we live in the fear of the Lord, we will respond to the conviction of sin. No longer will we make excuses for sin. We won't rationalize our sin. We won't get defensive about our sin. We won't blame our sin on other people. We'll humbly confess it. We'll admit it. And we'll repent of it. So repentance is connected to the fear of God. But secondly, while repentance is our responsibility... It is a gracious gift of God. While repentance is our responsibility, it is the gracious gift of God. Notice there in verse 14. And the Lord stirred up... I don't know why I keep picking where I have to pronounce all these words again, right? And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked in the house of the Lord their God. In fact, I didn't even read the right passage, so I just pronounced all that stuff again, right? The beginning. The Lord stirred up the spirit, right? That was the right passage. The Lord stirred up... The Spirit. Just as we saw last week in Ezra chapter 1, the Lord stirred up the heart, stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus. And, and, the, and then the king freely allowed the Israelites, encouraged the Israelites to go back to their homeland and to rebuild the temple of the Most High. This was a pagan king. He had no reason to do this. But the Lord stirred in his heart. And just as the Lord stirred in his heart, the Lord stirred in the heart of the remnant of his people, of the leaders of Israel. Don't miss that. The Lord stirred in their heart and it resulted in their repentance. Repentance is not merely a human work. The Lord must be at work. The unseen work of the Lord enables repentance. And yes, we are responsible to repent and we are called upon to change. But God grants the ability to do so. I want you to write these four passages down. Well, you can read them later. 2 Timothy 2.25 2 Timothy 2.25, Acts 5.31, Acts 5.31, Acts 11.18, and Romans 2.4. All of these passages pointing to the fact that God is involved with our repentance. That God is graciously granting our repentance. That God's kindness leads us to repentance. John Calvin writes... Unless God stirs our hearts, we will not change because our hearts are too corrupt. Unless God changes our hearts, unless He stirs our hearts, we will not change because our hearts are too corrupt. Did you know that every movement that any of us ever make towards God and towards holiness is because of God's grace? It's because of God's grace. It's not because of our own ability. It's not because of our own goodness. It's not because of our own wisdom. It's not because of our own righteousness. Church, if left to ourselves, we would run the other way. 
There is no cause for boasting in any aspect of our salvation. It is always God's grace. Yet, we are responsible to repent. We are responsible to say no to sin and to actively pursue holiness. Now, I'm not saying that repentance is easy. I'm not saying that change is easy. But it is possible because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11 that we are dead to sin and we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're dead to sin. It no longer has power over us. We are alive in Christ. So if we would experience change, if, and repentance is the first step in change, right? If we would experience this, then we must remember this truth. When we are faced with temptation, we, whatever it is, We're called to remind ourselves that we are dead to sin. It no longer has power over us. And not only that, we're alive to God. We're alive to God. And by the power of the Spirit, we can choose to live for His glory. It's a moment-by-moment decision. It is an ongoing process. None of us are perfect. We all struggle with sin. But Christ has set us free from the power of sin. This means we can change. This means things can be different. And this enables our repentance. Third, we also see from this passage that a life of repentance leads to assurance before God. A life of repentance leads to assurance before God. Notice again in verse 13. Haggai is emphasizing the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I'm with you. Don't underestimate this. While the Lord promises to be faithful to his word and to save the remnant of Israel. Did you notice in the very beginning of this prophecy? God is referred to over and over again. We didn't read it this morning. You go back and read it later. As the Lord of hosts. Well, he is the Lord of hosts. But it stops there. The Lord of hosts. Not only that, God through Haggai says, this people. That sounds a little bit impersonal at times. Rather than my people. This people is rebellious. So in their sin, there is a sense of a break, a disconnect in fellowship. However, in verses 12 through 15, it is not just the Lord of hosts. Listen, he's still the Lord of hosts, right? He's still the sovereign one. But as a Lord of hosts, their God. So now we have this more personal aspect to it. The Lord of hosts, their God. No doubt in my mind that the people have keyed in on this tenderness. No doubt in my mind. When we live for God's glory, His presence will seem nearer, fellowship more intimate. Now hear me, I'm not saying that when we live in sin or when we sin that God leaves us and and He forsakes us and He takes His Spirit from us. That's not what I'm saying. However, it may feel that way at times. When we prioritize Him, what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, right? The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This takes on new life. When we're living in sin, when we're living in a rebellious way towards who God is, friends, we forfeit this assurance. 
One of the professors I had this summer, Greg Allison, he, he writes and he says, Assurance of salvation is the privilege of every believer. But too often believers forfeit that privilege by living in sin. Why? Sin breaks fellowship with God. Sin breaks fellowship with God. But repentance restores fellowship. We don't lose our salvation if we are truly in Christ. But friends, if we're living in sin, that can feel very distant. That relationship can feel very broken. Not because of God, because of us. Now, as we transition to the Lord's Supper, I want us to keep all of this in mind. When we take Lord's Supper, when we partake, when we uh, practice communion, we're celebrating a spiritual communion with one another, but more importantly, with the Lord of hosts, our God. We're celebrating His victory over sin and His presence in our lives. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church. And we invite those who are baptized believers in the name of Jesus Christ to join with us, whether you're a member of this church or not. But if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted in Christ and turned from your sin, then we encourage you to just allow the elements to pass. During the distribution of the elements, please take both cups in the stack as we're passing out both the bread and the juice at the same time. And just note, for those of you who have gluten allergies or whatever, this is a gluten-free wafer. And while the elements are being passed, take time to reflect upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and to rehearse the gospel to yourself. Remember, none of us in this room will ever be worthy, will ever be worthy in our own obedience to partake or to follow Christ. We are made clean by His grace and His grace alone. It is God who gives faith. It is God who grants repentance So thank Him for His love. Thank Him for His salvation. And confess to Him and repent of whatever known sin the Spirit brings to mind. After I pray, I'm going to say a few words and then our deacons are going to come. We're going to begin the distribution of the elements. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank You for Your grace. We know that it is Your kindness that leads us to repentance. We know that it is only because of Your mercy that we are not swept away in the judgment of sin. Jesus, we have freely received your love. You you freely took our sin upon yourself and suffered the wrath of God in our place. If not for your gracious intervention in our lives, we would suffer eternally for our rebellion. Lord, we are unworthy, but you are gracious. Thank you for granting to us repentance that leads to life, that leads to salvation. Strengthen us now to live for you. Place upon our hearts a Godward affection. Let us remain close to you. Make us sensitive to your spirit and desirous of your glory in all things. Amen.